You know, as we come to this important name, Yahweh, we find God reveal essential truths about himself. This is a name that is used more often than any other name of God in the Old Testament. We're going to find that this name communicates important doctrines about who God is and how we should view God. One of the most important truths that we find in this name is encapsulated in the idea that God always exists, always has, and always will. Probably many of you as parents have had your child come to you and they'll ask the question, where did God come from? And the answer to that question is really found in this name, Yahweh, which means I am. What's being communicated is God has always existed. At no point did he come into being. At no point will he cease to be. God is. Now for us, that's hard to wrap our brains around, isn't it? Everything we're familiar with has a beginning point and an ending point and something that exists in between. That isn't true of God. God has always existed. At no point has there ever been a time or a space or a place where God did not exist. He always is. He always was. He always will be. So as we come to this name, what we find is a passage of Scripture that introduces us to this name. When we look at Exodus chapter 3, the passage that was read moments ago, we find the name Yahweh brought before us in a story about deliverance. As we reflect on Exodus chapter 3, we find the context of the name Yahweh. And we're going to see what God reveals about this name, but let's reflect on this context Moses is the one who shares the name Yahweh with the world around him. If you remember the story of Moses, the children of Israel had gone into Egypt because of a famine. For over 400 years, they had resided in Egypt. And what happened was they had shifted into a slave class. They were responsible for the building projects of the pharaohs. And as a people, they were populating to the extent that the head of Israel, the pharaoh, or excuse me, the head of Egypt, the pharaoh, became concerned about their numbers. In order to diminish their numbers, he instituted a mandate that all male children be executed. Moses' mother, in seeking to protect her child, fashioned a basket, made it watertight, placed him in the reeds. Moses' sister was watching to see that he was okay. God sent Pharaoh's daughter to find Moses. He was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, raised in Egypt, and yet... 
There was something about Moses that drove him to discover who he really was. He discovered that he was not Egyptian, that he was Israelite. And then as he was looking at his people, he saw an Egyptian oppressing one of his countrymen. He killed the Egyptian, was found out, and exiled. For 40 years, he served in exile as a shepherd. And then one day, as he's tending the flock, he sees a bush on a mountain that's burning but yet isn't consumed. So he goes to this bush, and that's where we find this story in Exodus chapter 3. This is where Moses met God. Imagine Moses' perspective. I'm going to see this unusual thing that's happening, and then as you approach this burning bush, you hear the voice of God. And God speaks to Moses and says, remove your sandals for the ground that you're approaching is holy ground. So he does. As he hears from God, God identifies himself as the God of his forefathers, the God of the patriarchs. And then he addresses an issue that probably was a burden on Moses' heart, his people. In the text, God says that he is aware of the plight of his people, of the oppression of the Egyptians. And so he comes up with a solution that initially Moses was not very wild about. I'm going to send somebody to speak to the Egyptians, and guess what, Moses, you're it. Now, Moses was frightened by that prospect. And we can imagine why he would be. I found peace, finally, away from Egypt. And you're telling me I have to go back to Egypt? I'm frightened. And as Moses was giving objections to God, God reminds him that he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right in that sixth verse. I want you to notice that sixth verse carefully. Notice he doesn't say, I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He continues to be God. Had been, is, and always will be. That's the message that's given. But to bring home with clarity who he is, he gives the name Yahweh. We find it right here in this passage toward the end of the passage. Verse 13, Moses asks, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He's asking God for his name. And then verse 14, 
God said to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people, I am has sent you. Now this name, I am, Yahweh, it appears over 7,000 times in the Old Testament. 7,000 times. It's such a holy name that the Jews would not utter it. It consists of four consonants. For you theologians, it's the tetragrammaton. Now, when I was a kid, I heard tetragrammaton, and I thought, man, that sounds sort of like the Transformers, you know? <laughs> That's got to be a character in the Transformers. No. Tetragrammaton means the four letters. And the Israelites found it to be so holy that they didn't appoint vowels to those consonants. What they did was they took the vowels for a name for Lord, Adonai, and they applied it to the four consonants, Yahweh. And that's how we got our word Jehovah. Probably many of you are more familiar with the term Jehovah than you are Yahweh. As a matter of fact, our English Bible translations even reflect this reverence for the name Yahweh by translating Yahweh in your English Bibles with Lord. But the way that you identify the name Lord, if you're looking in your uh, scriptures, you'll see often capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, all uppercase letters. In our English Bibles, every time you see all of those uppercase letters, it's actually the name Yahweh. So as you're reading your text, you'll find that clue that that's what the Bible translators are reflecting as the name Yahweh. So here we have this name, Yahweh, given to Moses. Moses had objected, and God said, Yahweh is sending you, and I am the God of your forefathers, the patriarchs. Now, as we continue in the text, or in our study on the name of God, we need to see the concept behind this name. What is God communicating when he says, I am? I am that I am. What does God mean? Well, let's reflect on that. When we looked at the name Elohim, we saw that it referred to his power, the strong one, that's the meaning of the name Elohim, the common name God that we find in our scriptures. It was also associated with God's creative power, the fact that he is the originator, the creator of all that we see. But Yahweh goes beyond creation, and it shares with us the idea of always existing uniquely. There's no one else like God. God stands alone as God. He is unique. He is holy, which means set apart, unlike anyone or anything else. When God says, I am, what he's saying is, I am unique. There's none like me. I stand alone. Something else. When God says, I am, he's speaking to his self-existence. Now, what do we mean by self-existence? 
all of us depend on other things to exist. As a matter of fact, not a person in this room wasn't born into this world because a mother and father came together and brought forth a child. We all have origins. To exist, we need air, food, water. We are dependent on other things to exist. God being self-existent carries with it the idea that God exists in and of himself. He doesn't need anything else. He is. It's hard for us, again, to wrap our brains around that. We need so much. Even those who delude themselves into thinking that they are self-made people are being foolish. Because one circumstance that goes awry and their life blows up. They need the things around them to exist. Deprive them of air, they die. Deprive them of food, they die. God is the one who provides, not the one who needs provision. So when we think of the name I am, we need to think in terms of God being the provider, the self-existent one, not the one who needs. God is. That's what's being communicated by this. He's sovereign. Now, what does it mean to be sovereign? A lot of us think that we're sovereign. I make my own decisions and I do my own thing. But guess what? We're not sovereign. We have limitations. We have limited strength, limited intellect. None of us can determine the path of our life to come out exactly the way we want it to come out with no one to stop us from accomplishing our purpose. Not so with God. God is completely sovereign in that no one can stay his hand. No one can stop him. No one can dictate to God and say, no, you can't do that. God is sovereign and makes absolutely every decision he makes on the basis of who he is and what he wills. Something else about God. When he says, I am, he is changeless. God never changes. Now this is another one that's so hard to understand. But think about this for a moment. God never becomes wiser or less wise. God is all wise. God never becomes stronger or weaker because God is all powerful. God never becomes better or worse because God is holy. God is who he is all the time. He doesn't grow, he doesn't develop because he has fulfilled all that God can be because he is God. Again, that's hard for us to grasp because we're constantly in a state of change and growth. 
But not so with God. God remains changeless. I love the way James frames this concept when he writes, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God never changes. So when you hear the name Yahweh, as you read your Bibles and see that capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, remember, this is the holy God, the self-existent God, the sovereign God, the changeless God. This is the God that we worship. Something else we see communicated by this name Yahweh. When we look in Scripture, we find that He is the covenantal God. Now, what in the world do we mean by covenantal? A covenant is a promise. So a simple way that doesn't start with a C. I had to keep my C's going, right? But a, a simple way to remember it is he is the God who keeps his promise. Aren't you glad that God keeps his promises? Because God never changes. Because God is all-powerful. At no point can God look at a promise that he's made and say, Oops, I didn't see that coming. At no point can God say, you know, I made that promise, but circumstances worked out in such a way that I'm just not able to deliver. No. When God enters into a promise and a contract, God keeps the promise or the contract. The name I am communicates that. As a matter of fact, as we study the scripture and we see the many times that the name Lord is referred to in scripture, it is often associated with this concept of him being the promise-keeping God as Yahweh, I am. Now, while God is faithful, his people often aren't. In fact, when we look at the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, you know what we find? We find the word of God talk about the faithlessness of the people. And here's what we find. Even though the people were faithless, God remained faithful. Prophet Malachi writes, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Now, had God not made a promise to Abraham that they would be his people, his descendants, and that they would become a great nation and that all of the nations would be blessed through them had it been on the performance and the faithfulness of Israel they would have been consumed but because God is the promise keeping God they were delivered that's Yahweh the faithful one the text goes on to say this, From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So God is changeless, always keeping his promises. God's ultimate promise that was fulfilled as a part of his promise to Abraham was sending his son into this world to deliver us from sin and to bless us through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ. 
so that we could come into a relationship with Yahweh through the Son. That's the promise-keeping God that we worship. God has many promises that we look forward to. One of those promises is the return of His Son. Jesus is coming again. And there are some that look at that promise and they say, wait a minute. When's this going to take place? Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the promise of God. From our perspective, it can seem like, hey, the promise of God is moving into the background. Maybe he's not really going to fulfill what he says, but God always does. In his time, God fulfills. So when you hear the name Yahweh, Jehovah, or see in your Bible reading, capital Lord, remember, that is the God who is. So this is important information to understand. This revelation concerning who God is, but we don't want to stop there. We want to look at the response that we should have to this truth. And when we look at the name Yahweh, my response needs to be confidence in the one who never changes. You know, when you look in the ancient times, the concepts of the gods were skewed by this idea that gods are fickle. At any given moment, as I sacrifice to my God, or as I pray to my God, or even as I live life, that God might turn on me any given day. I don't know whether I have good God or bad God. That was the way they viewed their deities. They were changing, inconsistent, constantly in question. When we look at the God of the Bible, that's not the case. God is who He is all the time. I can't look at God and say He will be any different tomorrow than He is today. And He's not any different today than He was at creation. He is God and always has been and always will be. So here's the idea. I can trust God. I can trust God to remain consistent, always being who He has promised and who He has revealed Himself to be. When God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses worried about his ability, he worried about his authority, but God answered with this promise, I am who I am, and I will deliver the people through you. So because God's character and nature never changes, we can put our confidence in Him as well. He promises to remain true, and we can count on that truth. The writer of Hebrews tells us, let us hold fast 
the confession of our hope without wavering. And then look at the statement about God. For he who promised is faithful. I can always count on the promise of God. That's confidence. We can enter into a relationship with God and approach Him with confidence on the basis of His faithfulness and His promise and our faith in the promise of God. Something else that we see as we think about this is that name should inspire courage. You know, when we look in the Scripture again and again and again when we find the name Yahweh, It's associated with promises that God makes that He will care for His people. That even as they face difficult odds, God is with them. And we can count on His presence. It's interesting when we look in the Psalms. If you remember the story of David, King David, before he became king, he was pursued by King Saul. But Saul wasn't just looking to imprison David. He wanted to kill him. David had been anointed by God's prophet, Samuel. He had to wait on God to fulfill his promise that he would be king and preserve and protect him until he did. And so David had to focus on that name, Lord, and what it represents to make it through the perilous times that he was in, the frightening times as a king and all of his resources pursued him. David wrote this in the sixth Psalm. Be gracious to me, Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, Yahweh, For my bones are troubled. My my soul also is greatly troubled. But you, Yahweh, how long? Turn, Yahweh, deliver my life. Save me for the sake of your steadfast love. Do you catch that David was in trouble? He recognized that he needed a double dose of courage. He was becoming depressed and discouraged as he hid out, as he ran. And then he remembered the I Am. You know, this morning, I don't know every situation that everyone in our church is in. Some of you maybe are feeling discouraged, frightened, intimidated, frustrated, any number of emotions. And if we look at our opponents or our obstacles, it's easy to come to the place to where we want to give up. Yahweh is there. We can turn to Him and draw from Him the strength that we need to face any challenge, any obstacle any opposition or oppressor. Look at this passage, Psalm 9-7. David shares with us another perspective as we look to this text. 
But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with, un, with, with righteousness. He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed and a stronghold in the times of trouble. Isn't that a great passage of Scripture? It's a reminder to us that God is always there. God, in his strength, preserves us. The Lord, I love that ninth verse, Yahweh is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in the times of troubles. I don't know how people face troubles apart from Yahweh, apart from God. We find in him everything that we need to face those troubles, to navigate them, and to endure. This is Yahweh and his promise. Something else that we find. Psalm 18.2. The scripture reminds us in this text that, and I'll just read it for you. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God and my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon Yahweh who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. This is who we focus on. And again and again and again, these are just a few of the passages that talk about a dependence on Yahweh, the one who is, the one who is always there, who never departs, never forsakes us. He is, and we can count on him. The passage that is on the screen at this time, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. People of Israel had turned away from God, but there was a remnant that was hanging on. They still worshipped the name Yahweh. And God gave this encouragement through Isaiah that's a favorite verse of mine. As a matter of fact, if you go in my office, there's a picture of an eagle that has this passage right there on the picture as a reminder and this is what it says. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That is God's provision. Because he is. He's always there to strengthen those who depend on him. Final thought as far as a response to God and what he provides. We come to this idea. We need to commit to the one who cares for us. If you could help me on the sound room for some reason, my uh, thank you. I appreciate that. We commit to the one who is committed to us. Because God is faithful, God is strong and changeless, why would we commit to anyone or anything except him? If God is, why would I replace him with something that isn't? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. When we look historically at the children of Israel, many of them had lost their commitment 
Yes, they would talk about the Lord, Adonai. They would treat the name Yahweh with such reverence, they wouldn't utter it. They would just call it the name. But then what we find is this. The children of Israel, and if you could help me once again in the sound room, now thank you. When we look at what God says, notice what Malachi says about the children of Israel and how they viewed the Lord. It says this, a son honors his father, a servant his master. If I then am a father, where's my honor? And if I am a master, where's my fear? Now notice this, says Yahweh of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon the altar. You say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Now here are people who would refer to the name Yahweh, but their lifestyle and their commitment was anything but that. Do you realize what was going on? God called for sacrifices to be given in praise of his name. So rather than taking the best of their flock, the priests were taking the leftovers, the rejects, and they were offering that to God, saying that's good enough. Their commitment was not in keeping with the name of God. And you know, as I reflect on this, I think about we as Christians. How often we will talk about the name of the Lord. And we'll come together and we'll worship the Lord. And we'll even talk about commitment. But how is it reflected in the day-to-day decisions we make, in the way that we worship God, in the way that we make choices that are the really big choices, do they reflect the God who is as an integral part of my life? We want to be people who follow the Lord and not weary Him with feigned commitment that really isn't commitment at all. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17 says this, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? In other words, we dismiss what God has said is right. God hasn't changed. We have. And our commitment can reflect that if we're not careful. This morning we have seen Yahweh, the God who is, as reflected in Scripture. We've seen that we can find confidence in Him, courage in Him, and there ought to be commitment to Him. Let me encourage you as you think through this passage of Scripture that we looked into with Moses, as you think about the other Scriptures that were brought up, do you see God for who he has revealed himself to be, the God who is. And has your life reflected who God has revealed himself to be? Those are the questions that we must answer.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this name. We thank you that you are our God, that we can worship you as we reflect on who you are. God, help us to be committed to you as we should be. We thank you that you are the God who is, never changing, faithful to your promise, that you are unique and stand alone as the only God. So may we follow you as we should. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.